This episode of the Up for Discussion podcast is brought to you in part by HazelAid.com. HazelAid is an online retailer of natural, therapeutic hazelwood and Baltic amber jewelry based right here in Montreal. With over 700 unique sizes, colors, and styles, there's something for everyone. For those of you who don't know, hazelwood is a natural way to treat acid-related issues like heartburn, acid reflux, and even some kinds of eczema. Baltic amber is useful in naturally healing pain and inflammation, reducing dependency on traditional painkillers. So if you're interested in some natural products that look great head to hazelade.com and use the coupon code upford that's u-p-f-o-r-d at hazelade.com and you'll get 10 percent off your order that's hazelade.com coupon code upford for 10 percent off your order on with the show Welcome to episode 217 of Up for Discussion, the emotionally honest comedy podcast where we take your questions and dish out hot truths and tasty goofs. I'm Tom Zalatni. I'm Kay Bradley. And we are joined in studio today by a very special guest. He is a teacher at Westmount High School. He's the face of the EMSB and the uh, protests against the Quebec religious symbols ban. And uh, he's going to be running for the Green Party this fall. Uh, and appropriately, his name is Rob Green. <laughs> Great to be here. So a little back, uh, little background. You taught me this Psychology, right. psychology nine years ago. indeed. I was substituting for the regular psychology teacher at West no Valley. I was, yeah, Mr. Coppolis normally. Oh, don't, of course, because she was yeah. she was on mat leave. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize that. I thought you were just the psych teacher. No, well, that that's amazing. That was so how I, I, I got away with it. My fraud, uh, my fraud worked. <laughs> <laughs> and your fraud. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was great. You were the teacher who taught me about the concept of working to rule. Okay, awesome. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Because I think We was... got into work to rule in psychology class. I am a good teacher. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I think what it was was that it was around when the like student or the, oh, there was the a strike or was the teachers a, were striking. Okay, yeah, yeah. Would, yeah. Maybe a teacher action that year. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. And, and you were like, here's what this means. And I was like, I'm going to apply that to my life. Awesome. And, and then I only aimed to get 80s in all of my courses from then on. Because <laughs> I was like, that's the minimum that I can get that or that's the best mark I can get by doing just enough work. Right. And I didn't feel like putting in all the extra to get higher than that. And it was great. I got 80s and everything for the rest of that year. Well, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, picking your battles and yeah. uh, where you're going to focus your energy for sure. That's it. Yeah. So uh, so we brought you in today because you're an expert on our featured Patreon question. Uh, but before we get to it, tell us about all this campaigning stuff that's about to happen because that's really exciting. Yeah. So I guess, uh, well, I'm just trying to wrap my head around being a candidate in a federal election. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, earlier on the year, I was uh, I was approached by the, the president of the, the Green Party Riding Association for NDG Westmount. And uh, I was asked if uh, I would be interested in being the candidate. Um, I initially had a little bit of hesitation. You know, electoral politics have not been, I guess, the forefront of my politics over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, after doing some research, I, you know, and I had, I had voted Green for the first time in 2015. Before mm-hmm. that, I was solidly an NDP voter, right. um, but I guess I was I was driven into the green fold by uh, by Thomas Mulcair's uh, moving that party to the 
the to the center. I would even say to the right. Um, and yeah, I was really in when I when I got into reading the Green Party platform. Um, you know. At that point, I was like, this is absolutely something I'm comfortable with. I was actually really surprised, like pleasantly surprised uh, at the detail of the platform and just how like progressive it is. Right. And and even on a number of points, when you compare it with the NDP, you know, the, the Green Party platform like goes into specifics when the mm-hmm. NDP kind of makes some vague statements. Right. Um, and and as well, just the, their policies are a lot more developed. So. Um, and that that was important for me because I don't want to sign on to some vague statements. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And and, you know, I, I saw a lot of things in there that that really uh, reflected almost like the politics of my life. So, mm-hmm. you know, I first I first I guess environmentalism is probably what first politicized me. I still remember uh, David Suzuki coming to mm-hmm. my high school in Toronto and and describing the analogy of the boiling frog. <laughs> And like, I remember going out and talking with my friends and being like, oh my God, we have to do something. And then, right. you know, my friends and I went to one of the first Earth Day uh, events in Toronto back in the 80s. Uh, but then later on, when I moved to Montreal, I, I was very heavily involved in the in the student movement. Right. Um, so I was the president of the student union at Concordia for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, the whole issue of accessible education was a very important one for me. We, you know, we organized a student strike and, and things like that. And so, you know, to see in the Green Party platform that free university education is right there in the platform, uh, that really uh, brought me on board. And as well, I spent some time doing work overseas. I volunteered for an NGO uh, called Alternatives that's based here in Montreal. And they sent me to Senegal uh, twice where, you know, I got to meet all kinds of amazing activists there and sort of learn about the global development issues specifically around the IMF and the World Bank Mm. Um, and again you know when I looked in the Green Party platform their critique of the IMF World Bank and the critique of the whole sort of development model uh, that that the world has been operating on pretty much since the end of the Cold War uh, is thorough so you know anyhow there was there's I could go on and on about this uh, and you know give me a you know Come the fall, I will be going on and on <laughs> yeah, about yeah, all exactly. this. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, it, you know, after reading that platform, I was just like, absolutely, I'm comfortable doing this. Right. Um, and I guess the other motivation for me is that you know, the last couple of years, I've been doing units on climate change with my students, right. and I have these have been some of the hardest units I've taught as a teacher, because how do you tell like? a group of young people that the collapse of civilization is likely to happen in their lifetime. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is again, the most challenging thing I've ever done. How to hold it together when a 16 year old girl is telling you that she doesn't want to have children because she's, she's, she doesn't think the world is going to be safe for them. Like, right. you know, so all of that has sort of made me feel like I need to do more. And mm-hmm. so when I got that invite, I'm like, I'm ready. Let's yeah, do it. That's so, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're so many freaking co- dot cocks. Nope. <laughs> Dots <laughs> so connected. Sorry. Yeah. My fucking contribution to this wonderful <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Shit. Uh, the dots connecting of all, like, it's not just because when you were talking about like the vagueness of the NDB platform, yeah. that's mm-hmm. what has always infuriated me about politics is yep. that they get votes through vague ideas. Yep, exactly. 
exactly. and then there's no uh, accountability on what they're actually pr- exactly. promising and everything. Exactly. So for you to say that there is detailed information yep. about these different things, yep. and mm-hmm. then what you've experienced personally in your own life, yep. it just seems like the perfect meld of, of timeline and, yeah. and information and it, want. It, it absolutely does. Like I, you know, uh, it was the exact right time to be asked mm-hmm. to do this yeah. so, on a number of levels. So that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I uh, I've been like we we just launched a brand new show on the network called Canada's Young Leaders. Where, okay, um, excellent. W- one of the hosts actually ran for the NDP a few years ago, okay. uh, Jim Hughes. Okay, and uh, and what their show is is they interview people. I think under thirty five is the cutoff. Uh, who are like leading things in yep. Canada. So it's it's broad enough that they're sort of covering a lot of stuff, but a lot of it is political, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and honestly. I think a lot of the stuff that's not strictly political is still ends up being political because that's what it means to change the world. Right. Um, and it's been making me think a whole lot about like, you know, how do you find a a, a political party whose policies are actually in line with what you believe when those political parties are so shady about what they actually are doing. Exactly. Exactly. That's refreshing to hear that the green party is uh, like actually expressing themselves and explaining themselves. Yeah, Yeah. backing up their Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Hey, I'm Aaron Lakoff, host of Changing on the Fly, a brand new podcast on the Upford Network. Changing on the Fly is a podcast that dives deep into the intersections between hockey and social justice. We take on issues of sexism, racism, and homophobia on the ice. You'll hear from athletes, activists, fans, scholars, and even musicians who love hockey but want to keep the jerks out of the game. Think Colin Kaepernick or Serena Williams, but with skates and less teeth. It's your perfect antidote to Don Cherry and Coach's Corner. Hey Don, what do you think of changing on the fly? Not the left-wing pinkle media bleeding hearts, guys. What are you, nuts? Anyways, you can find Changing on the Fly wherever you get your podcasts, or visit us online at changingontheflypodcast.wordpress.com. Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian, one of the hosts of Yeah, a podcast on the Upford Network. We're talking about young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what the YA genre can teach us at any age. Join me and my co-host, Hannah Bailey, as we talk about friendships, dating, family relationships, sexuality, experiences of queerness, body politics, and more through the lens of our favorite YA novels, as well as books we're just discovering. The Yeah! Podcast, available through the Upford Network and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Should we head to the cash corner? Oh, wonderful. Let's do it. Dig into the the meat. Oh, this paper is stuck to the table, which makes me worry. Welcome to the cash corner, the part of the show where we shamelessly ask you to give us money. You know what most major religions have in common? The belief that it's super great to give a chunk of your money to the less fortunate. So whether you believe in sprinkling or full... Sprinkling or full immersion, now's your chance to baptize us with cash. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I will never read these before the show. <laughs> so whether you believe in, I've read that already, join the Church of Patreon today. Join the Church. Join the Church of Patreon today. If you pledge as little as a dollar a month to us at patreon.com slash up for discussion, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendallin, Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Jan, Killian, Angie, Sarah, Angelica, Will, Anne, Andrew, and Laura. Is Laura new? Laura of course is Laura new. is new. Yes, yes, I thanked her 
later this week. I know what's going on. You'll get early access to bonus content, little behind-the-scenes updates, and all kinds of other sweet, sweet perks. And if you give at least $5 a month, you get to submit the featured Patreon question for an episode once per cycle on the show. Today's featured Patreon question comes from Will, who asks... The CAQ is banning all religious symbols worn by public officials, including teachers and wildlife officers, such as the kippah and the hijab, but they have no plans to remove crosses from public spaces. Should we have them all removed across the board? Should we allow all expressions of religious freedom? It's difficult for me, Will, as I think the cross should remain on top of Mount Royal because it's like a Christ the Redeemer symbol. It's not religious for me, it's just a symbol of Montreal. But if it brings us more harm than harmony then maybe we should ban all religious items such as they have done in France for a long time. What are your thoughts? First off, I feel like it's kind of silly to say that a Christ the Redeemer symbol isn't religious. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what he means. It's like it's like Christ the Redeemer statue, yeah. which is like not strictly a religious symbol for the people there as much as it's just a statue that is a monument for them, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, but the real issue comes to, you know, crosses in courthouses and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So... As the guy who's been, you know, in the news. Yeah. Okay. So, and actually, I should mention also, I'm a, I'm a religious studies major from uh, from Concordia originally. So okay. There's another, there's another point. Backing um, it up. So I would, I guess, I've got some mixed feelings about this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the whole issue, my perception is that the whole discussion of crosses on mountains and in national assemblies and and that sort of thing has res- only come about as a response to the attack on the religious f- freedom of minority communities. Yeah. So, you know, no one was worried about the cross on the, on the mountain or in the legislature until, um, you know, we had a government that was simultaneously saying that it wanted to, you know, rid government of a- any s- religious symbols by asking individuals mm-hmm. to, to, you know, take off their their items of faith right. um, while continuing uh, to to defend the the cross hanging over the National Assembly right. um, I, like honestly I don't think the cross in the National Assembly should be an issue um, because it is it is part of our heritage and right. I don't think it necessarily symbolizes that church and state are not separate hmm. I mean we have enough like legal statutes in Quebec that, that like are very, very clear on right. that, on that point. Um, and as, as well as like Quebec's history. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that like it shouldn't be an issue, but it is right. be- because it, it's something for people to point to, to, to sort of illustrate hypocrisy Mm -hmm. and and certainly when the party quebecois was doing this they were being extremely hypocritical about it and and i think we see that in the in the fact that the cac has sort of learned from that and is trying to be more open to removing certain crosses um i namely the one in the legislature i they're not talking about taking the crosses off of mountains or changing the millions of streets and place names (laughs) in this city that are saint something to something um but uh (laughs) but so you know i like it, it it really and what this also comes down to is the issue of what is secularism mm. is is secularism about state neutrality 
or is it about being kind of like anti-religious? Right. And I think that's where, like, sadly, that's where the debate is has gone. It's it's been sort of taken on by people that I would describe as sort of anti-religious fundamentalists. They they exhibit all of the same sort of patterns of behavior as religious fundamentalists. They're extremely dogmatic. They're not open to hearing counter arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they want to be able to have very sort of simplistic views about people. So, right. so they want to be able to say, for example, if a woman is wearing a hijab, she's oppressed because of that, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, which is absurd if you happen to know some real life Muslims. So just for example, one of my colleagues, Miss Ahmed, um, who is a graduate of Westmount High. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And she was born here in Quebec. She's Mm -hmm. from a, her family's from uh, Bangladesh, but uh, she was born here, went to Westmount High, was the president of the student council. And if you go and look at her photo on the wall of Westmount High and Mm -hmm. the graduation photo, you'll see she's not wearing a hijab. Okay. She, her parents didn't, you know, pressure her to wear it. But when she grew older, she chose to do this on her own Mm -hmm. and and she's not alone (laughs) you know there are a lot of muslim women out there that that are like that and so you know to to suggest that like miss ahmed is a victim of oppression and that there's some sinister man behind her hijab Mm -hmm. well you know the other thing is her husband isn't originally from a muslim background he's actually another teacher from west mount high (laughs) who is from a, you know, who was born here in Montreal yeah. and, and the into tall a, white guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, anyhow, you know, mm-hmm. I think it, it, there's a lot of like conflating of issues that, that is going on here. And, and I think a lot of it is ultimately about, you know, politicians pandering to mm-hmm. xenophobia mm-hmm. in the population. Right. And, and I guess, to even go one step further back, you know, beginning with the 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 nine the the, the terrorist attacks in in New York on nine eleven, mm-hmm. we've seen like a consistent and concerted campaign of of demonization of Muslims, um, you know, in much of Quebec media Quebec's media, but mm-hmm. specifically in the Quebecor network. Right. So on the TVA network and in the Journal de Montréal, like I'll never forget, this was in the early 2000s, there was a, a, a cover, uh, like a cover photo on the Journal de Montréal of a woman in a niqab holding up a Sikh kirpan, which is the ceremonial blade of the Sikhs. Mm-hmm. Notice that these are scary, well, scary yeah, yeah, symbols yeah. from two completely different religious traditions. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, the Journal de Montréal was quite happy to like m- bring all of those symbols together to direct them right. largely against the Muslim community. Yeah. With right. some kind of poppy headline. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And wow. we've, we've also seen headlines like on mangeant tous le halal. Right. Mm-hmm. There was some, you know, it was it was a fake news story that that got debunked afterwards mm-hmm. that one of the big meat producers in Quebec was having imams like bless all of the meat before innocent Quebecers ate <laughs> oh it, my God. which which again, it, again is so extremely absurd because right. like 
what would that matter? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> worst case, worst case, you're getting food that someone cares about. Yeah. Yeah. And that maybe actually there are some rules with, with halal meat that right. the animals need to be, you know, treated in a humane way. It yeah. might actually be an improvement <laughs> yeah, exactly. of the meat that we're getting out of our factory farms. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. It's so, it's so difficult to try and assess like what, well, from my point of view of the uneducated on this topic. So here we go. Um, that it's like how many people who are implementing these manipulative tactics mm-hmm. believe what they're selling yeah. and how many of them are just co- very consciously aware this is what we need to do to get votes because the mm-hmm. angry people are the ones who show yep. up to the polls. Right. I think it's more the latter. I, I, mm-hmm. I do. I, and if you look at the, like the history of how this issue has evolved, mm-hmm. you can clearly see where the electoral calculations have been at play. So this this set of politics was first introduced by the the Action Democratique party, the ADQ. And they used that in an election against when the um, uh, Bois Claire was running for the PQ. Mm-hmm. And and the ADQ got the highest result ever. Uh, that they had had in that election. They became the official opposition. And that then caused the PQ to think, hmm, uh, maybe we need to look at this. Right. And the other thing that was going on with the PQ is that since the mid-90s, the Parti Québécois had completely abandoned its its social democratic roots mm-hmm. as kind of a, a left-leaning party mm-hmm. right. and had, had gone, you know, sort of whole hog into neoliberalism. Right. So, you know, I still remember actually one of my first protests when I came to, to, to Quebec in the early 90s um, was outside uh, what was called the, the Summit Socioeconomique, where the... The premier Bouchard, who was the, the PQ premier at the time, uh, got all the unions together and all the student groups together and all the different sort of social forces in Quebec to get them all to agree to a zero deficit strategy. So in other words, getting the unions and student groups to sign on to austerity. And I will never forget the image of of Lucien Bouchard burning an effigy on the streets and right on René Lévesque (laughs) Boulevard outside of that meeting. Because, you know, a lot of union members, a lot of student groups were like, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, since, since that time, since the early 90s, what... What has the PQ had to offer voters hmm. like austerity, crappier social programs? <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, tax cuts for the rich. Oh, right. But a- but um, <laughs> the problem is the rich don't have a lot of votes. They, they bring you the right. money to get the votes, but right. they don't they, they don't have a lot of votes on their own. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that at a certain point, you know, after a string of elections where they did very poorly, uh, the PQ decide, well, we got to do something different. And it's like, I'm sure at that point, the question was asked, like, maybe we should return to our social democratic roots and give people a real positive reason to want to vote for us. But someone in the brain trust was like, or we could just demonize immigrants, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And and sadly, that's the route that they went. Um, and, and then when... You know, it looked like the polls like so again, when the when the Marois government 
proposed the Charter of Values. So mm-hmm. that was the next, that was the first time we saw an actual law proposed on this. Right. Um, it was really interesting to see what happened with the public opinion polls. So initially, when the issue was being discussed in theory, the polls were like supportive. Most people want it. Like mm-hmm. vast, like the clear majority want this thing. But as the details of the law came out and the public hearings started happening and the voices of real human beings who were about to have their careers destroyed uh, started to enter the media, then public opinion swayed back the other way. And Mm -hmm. so, and, and, you know, ultimately Marwa lost that election on that issue. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I was certainly hoping that with that, like we've, we've killed it, right? Right. We've, we've killed this zombie that just keeps coming back and, but evidently not because it's a zombie. Um, (laughs) And and, yeah. And now here we are with, with Francois Legault, uh, you know, in some ways trying to, to have learned from the PQ's mistakes, but in other ways, just making plenty more mistakes of his own. Right. But, but the fact that the, you know, when they're asked to justify the details, like just for example, like, you know, they've been, they've been asked, well, what exactly is a religious symbol? Right. Right. Like, so this, this comes up quite frequently, especially when it comes to the issue of the hijab, because the hijab is technically not a religious symbol. It's Mm. better described as a religious practice. Mm. And it stems from a, a, you know, a directive in the Quran stating that, that Muslim people male and female should dress modestly. Right. And that is interpreted specifically from cultures coming from the Middle East. Modest dress means women cover their head, Mm. you know, and, and, and other parts of their body. Right. Um, But, you know, Muslim men are also expected to dress modestly. Right. We're not hearing anything about their modest dress being Mm. a a symbol of their, Oh, Oh, you know, the teacher is dressed modestly. He's trying to convert the students, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Like, but, but we do hear that about Muslim women, right. and the, and the and and the ridiculousness of this is that, like, you know, when Muslim women also don't bear their arms or show their legs, hmm. is that so? Is that then a religious? Song? Are we going to force Muslim? Like, are we going to force them to like, you know? take off their clothes when they when they teach is yeah, that is that yeah. where we're going here i think everyone needs to just be naked all the well, time right? maybe, it's, maybe that's the solution right. Right? yeah <laughs> i remember when uh what, i think it was in france when a woman was wearing uh a, like a body suit to to the beach and that they actually forced her to yep. take it off and yep. it's just like how what part of your brain makes you think that's okay yeah yeah that imposing what you think yeah and so when the government is asked like about questions like this or like uh, but for Sikh men, uh, the turban's also very functional because they've got a lot of hair yeah. underneath yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And the hair is also symbolic. Yeah. So you're going to have to so, shave their head? Like, right. what so are they asking? Ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. So whenever they're asked about these sorts of specifics, about how is this going to work, they punt the question. They don't uh. answer. They just they just say, you know, it's a, it's a common sense issue. Right. And so to me, that says there's no sincerity at all to actually make this work. It's it's only about speaking to the ignorance and hatred of of sadly too many people in Quebec. A while ago, I think that was an episode you and I did together. It was just after the CAQ got elected. Mm. We were talking about how like crazy it is as people who live in Montreal, which is a fairly liberal city. Which the entire island voted liberal, basically, in that election, yeah. except for one riding. Uh, 
to see the rest of the province voted for the CAQ. Yeah. And and like, you know, that's that's all it takes, right? Is for the people on the outside who are basically not exposed to people who are different from them, who have all this fear ingrained in them because of the media they consume, voting for the people who want to, you know, take advantage of that and make it make it stronger. Yeah. <laughs> but and, but the thing is, that should not be should not be possible yeah. in, a, in a constitutional democracy, yeah. right? Because we've there's both the Canadian Charter and the Quebec Charter, which is supposed to have this quasi-constitutional status. And yet, what we're seeing from, from the CAQ, they want to use the notwithstanding clause to, to eliminate the Canadian Charter. But then, just with like an act of parliament, they want to change the Quebec Charter. Right. And like... That's not how like quasi-constitutional laws are supposed to be dealt with. And like the charter itself, when it was developed, it was developed with a consensus of political parties. And it has been amended a number of times throughout its history, every time in order to expand people's rights mm-hmm. and every time with the consensus of all of the parties in the National Assembly. Right. This is the first time in Quebec's history it's being amended to take away people's rights and it's being done without a consensus in the national assembly. And again, that, that really just shows that this isn't about making our society more unified, happier, better, more cohesive. It's about using divisive politics to, to, to pander to, to voters. But how, because the uh, political campaigns are formed with a fucking fuck ton of people. So many people. So, I just have difficulty understanding again, like how can that mentality be pushed so hard? Why why are there not a bunch of red lights going off in in their campaign offices to just be like, this is wrong. We're we're doing something that is wrong, that is dividing people. We are supposed to be doing things for the people. I mean, they're not like there's money in it, I guess, but like power. Well, so there's a lot of research out there about just for example the. The more Muslims you have contact with in your day-to-day life, mm-hmm. the less likely you are to be Islamophobic. Right. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, it's pretty, pretty straightforward, yeah. right? And sadly, I mean, the diversity in Quebec is almost entirely in the two in the major cities. So, right. Mm-hmm. So outside of Montreal, you know, Quebec and, and Sherbrooke and maybe Hull. Uh, we don't have a lot of diversity and we see a lot of cultural homogeneity and, and that cultural homogeneity is being reinforced by these attitudes in, in the mass media that Mm -hmm. people consume, like, you know, the Journal de Montréal and, and the TVA network. And so for that reason, it's like, I don't think anybody is even like, discussing this i don't think they're thinking about it in moral terms at all Hmm. i think it it is purely an electoral calculation wow and you know and and again like the one of the narratives that has bothered me most about the whole debate and we saw this we've seen this from every party that has supported this and and even quebec solidaire you know until they they recently changed positions on this so there was sort of a a grassroots uprising in their party membership um to say that the that the leadership's supporting of the the Bouchard Taylor recommendations, which was don't go as far as what the CAC uh, is doing. Like for example, it doesn't include teachers, okay. but it's still 
has the effect of of rendering people second class citizens because mm-hmm. you know young kids from religious minorities can't dream to become judges or police officers or, or state prosecutors right there's there's just not the, a moral calculation i think right. it, it's it's all about pandering to voters yeah, and yeah. and and it's like you were saying earlier about the um, how how they're targeting individuals. Like yes, they are yeah. targeting the religion, but it is like, hey, you you yeah. cannot wear this, you cannot express yourself in this way, yeah. even if what you do does not affect your job yeah. in the slightest. Yeah. And yeah. if anything, it just promotes that cultural diversity and like, oh, you're different from me. Yeah. I'm interested in that. Well, Let's learn. And like, like this is one of the things that that bothers me the most about all of this is that like. I grew up in I grew up in Toronto and mm-hmm. like growing up in Toronto I saw all my life Sikh cops wearing turbans mm-hmm. and and Toronto's police force did a lot of work even back in the 80s to to become a very diverse police force mm-hmm. and I don't think there's a single person in Toronto that when they see a Sikh cop they think Oh my God! The Sikhs are taking over right. the police station, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. but that's literally that's literally the discourse of a lot of. There's this whole thing about Islamicization, the Islamicization of Quebec. Yeah. That if we accommodate them, it's the thin edge of the wedge, and soon all of our children are going to be having forced to read the the Quran and yeah, and yeah. wearing hijabs and and en mangeant tous halal, right? Like yeah. that that yeah. would that was part of the whole thing. I remembered what I was saying before that that this this whole thing of like oh if we just bring in this law that's going to put the the matter to rest yeah right <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah. and it's like wow can you think of one time in history when attacking a group of people's rights caused them to shut up <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like it's the other way around yeah. right like this is only guaranteeing that we're going to see what we've seen in the last couple weeks yeah. human chains around schools occupations in political offices you know m- demonstrations with thousands of people in the street that's what we're going to see and we're going to see more of it until mm-hmm. people's rights are are respected yeah. and and as it should be because if we don't fight this like the 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 consequences are so many and so disturbing yeah. right yeah, because yeah. if they're doing it to these religious minorities now who's next right. first of all and and as well like what 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 message are we sending to future immigrants to Quebec like this like so there was this big debate about use of the word ethnic cleansing mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. um the one of the uh, the mayor of Hampstead mm-hmm. came out and called called the law ethnic cleansing and like that is a that's it's a very harsh term mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of a, a lot of people that as soon as you say that word the connotation is like violence and genocide yeah yeah mm-hmm. and now he did explain himself though and in his explanation like what he said did make sense. I still think it was inappropriate to use to use that particular expression right. because of the connotation. Yeah, yeah. But like his point was like the di- the dictionary definition of ethnic cleansing is to basically remove an ethnic group from your your society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and he's like the inevitable effect of this is going to be that. Yeah. Like what Muslim family in their right mind would move to Quebec knowing that their daughters will not be full citizens? Right? Yeah. Like who who would who would ever do that in yeah. their right mind? Mm-hmm. And and the other like horrifying 
uh, prospect is that this then is going to embolden other segments of society. So, you know, now that the government's discriminating against religious minorities, what's to stop private employers from doing it as well? Yeah. Nothing. In fact, they're going to be like, hey, I can do this. The the government itself is doing this. Why shouldn't I do this? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other the other thing is just like once once this once our political leaders start to dabble in in xenophobia and promoting hatred it opens the floodgates. Mm. Oh yeah. And and we saw this during the Charter of Values debates mm-hmm. where hijabi women were being spat on oh, yeah. in the metro having their hijabs t- torn off by so people. Yeah. Yeah. It you know and it, it's starting again like there was a a, a, a Facebook um, you know, image that that's been going around of a of a news story. I think it was on the TV on network of a of a teacher in a hijab, and it's showing the comment thread below, and it is the most hor. Like you know, you couldn't see anything worse coming out of you know Jim Crow era Mississippi. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's the exact sort of thing, and and you know, and not a single comment defending the woman. Mm-hmm. So like what. Again, it's, it, it's like the floodgates are opening now. Mm-hmm. How are we going to put this genie back in the bottle? Yeah. Is right. like I think it's going to require like a mass movement and mm-hmm. probably civil disobedience, yeah. like like it did to to shut down Jim Crow. Right. Like that's that is the reality. Like we have a we have a majority that has decided that it's okay to use its weight to attack minorities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, history has shown that really civil disobedience is about the only, like, effective response to that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Because you can't go an electoral route at that point because, like, the majority supports it, right? As the majority supported Jim Crow, Mm. you know? And and the fact that the government, like, that that one of their sort of go-to responses is that like, we were elected to do this. We have a democratic mandate. Oof. The people want this. And it's just like, well, yeah, I mean, the majority also supported Jim Crow. Did it make it any more legitimate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And, and, and again, like if, if you are willing to just say like an act of parliament is all it takes to change the, 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 the charter, the Quebec charter, you're basically spitting on it. Yeah. You're basically yeah. saying it's a law like any other law and right. and who cares? And that that in my view is is an offense to to like Quebec's history. Yeah. Like that charter was established in Quebec years before Canada's charter about I think it's about 5 years before. Right. And and you know that is I think should be one of the things Quebecers are most proud of. Uh, you know, in terms of the the history of their government, it mm-hmm. it it is what I think symbolized, you know, Quebec becoming a truly modern society. It was sort of like mm-hmm. the final touch on the Quiet Revolution, yeah. right? That mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we are a society where fundamental rights are respected, you know, mm-hmm. um, and you know, so the fact that that is now being spat on in the name of like maintaining Quebec's heritage yeah, 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 to yeah. me so is backwards. just like yeah. so incredibly ignorant. So what is what is allowing them to to propose this change without the congressional appro- well, approval? Or- so, the, so 
there's there's two things that could stop it, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So one is a, a challenge uh, of the Canadian Charter, and there they're using what's called the notwithstanding clause, which basically allows them to basically violate a specific right that's that's protected under the charter. Okay. Um, but it, it only lasts for five years. Mm-hmm. So like the authors of Canada's charter were, I think, somewhat clever in that they're like, okay, we are going to allow an out for governments if they feel that they really need to do this. Uh-huh. However, there's going to be a time limit on that. It has to be re-evaluated. And that, that time limit has to be fall before the next election. So elections tend to be about oh, five years. Right, yeah. So it was very, very deliberate that they put the limit uh, to five years, which means that if ever a government violates the charter, um, the voters will have an opportunity before right. before hmm. it goes too long to change that. Now, <laughs> will smart. that have happen in Quebec? <laughs> I, I'm, it's far too early to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but then also with the with the Quebec the Quebec charter. You know, I think there's been sort of a tradition established that that changing it should require unanimous consent of the yeah. parties in yeah. the National Assembly. And that's that's how the parties have shown respect that this is a law not like any other law. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so what what Legault is now doing is basically going back on that and saying it's it's a law like any other law. Oh, OK. And, and, and so like the way he's done that is he's he's like. At, by bringing in this law, part of it is amending part of the Quebec Charter right. so that it won't be a violation. Ah, oh, so <laughs> slimy. Ah, so <laughs> slimy. Yes. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Super yeah. slimy. However, I should say, um, I actually, I'm part of a group now that's called Le Droit d'enseigner pour toutes et tous. And we had a meeting last Saturday and we had a legal expert, a lawyer, uh, one of the, the the top sort of legal experts on this in the province come and, and speak to us. And while I I, I can't sort of get go into the details yeah. of all of right. the strategies they're they're thinking about, they have a lot of ideas about ways that this can be challenged legally. That's so really good to hear. So yeah. <laughs> so the fact that the notwithstanding clause is being used does not mean that there is no legal legs to stand on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And even if those are exhausted in terms of Canadian and Quebec law, then there are international tribunals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this, this, if, if it's not fixed in our courts, it will go to the UN. Wow. Like that's, okay. that's going to happen for sure. That's, uh-huh. that's incredible. Yeah. 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 So, so, <clears throat> On a on like I guess a smaller scale, like we are not lawyers. No one in this room has the power to make laws pass. I mean, you might if you get elected in the fall. <laughs> but what can what can we as individuals? What can we like? I think especially as like white people. Yeah. Like what can we do? Yeah. Like to to sort of make this better. Yeah. Well, I think you know the the anglophone community like has been rallying on this issue Mm -hmm. um being part of those rallies is incredibly important so Mm -hmm. you know when there are human chains being formed outside of schools when there are mass rallies happening but i would say it's 
even more important if these are actions that are going beyond the Anglophone community mm. because the public opinion polls are, are, are showing a, a clear linguistic divide that the vast majority of Anglophones are against this law and a significant per, like majority of Francophones are for it. Mm. And so... Um, but we we should not fall into the trap of believing that this is merely a French English debate, right. um, because some of the most powerful voices against this law are are francophones, mm-hmm. and there is a significant number numbers in our community as well that do support it. Right. So it's it, you know it's not it's not black and white. It's not a, a French English uh, issue, but given. You know that the 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 bulk of the support for this law is in the in on the francophone side. When there are actions happening, you know, involving francophone teachers or francophone organizations that are speaking up about this, I think it's it's so important for us to to get out there and to to be in the streets or to or to do whatever it is that we can. Mm-hmm. And you know that includes doing things like. You know, writing to our our local municipal politicians to 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 congratulate them on the the stands that they're taking. So, a number of of uh, municipal governments have said that they they will they refuse to implement this. Mm-hmm. Um, Valerie Plant hasn't gone that far. Mm-hmm. She's kind of backed away from that position. But but just today, they in in Montreal City Hall they passed a, a unanimous uh, motion uh, condemning this law. Okay, so. So while they're not going to go as far as civil disobedience, they are making a very, very strong yeah. statement that mm-hmm. they're they're against this. Right. Um, and also the school boards. Um, yeah. You know, I you know one of my talking points when I've been talking to the media about this is that you know um, since hearing that that the EMSB and then after that the the, the Pearson board um, have decided that they will refuse to implement this I mean I've just been saying I have never been more proud to yeah. be an employee of the English Montreal school board right. um, because you know this is exactly why we need school boards yeah um, because this is this is sort of another issue that the that the CAC government is bringing up they right. want to shut down the school boards right and and so yeah. like I, the timing of uh, of the EMSB you know speaking out and taking a strong stand on this could not be better because they're 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 proving why we need them right. to to, yeah. to speak out on behalf of our community yeah. yeah and so i'm i'm really hoping that that they will they will maintain they will stand their ground at that position mm. um but the more public pressure there is on them you know, to do that, the more they will be likely not to to, to crumble, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, you know, I know like writing letters to politicians sounds boring, but like, you know, thinking about, you know, sending a little message to each of the members of the Council of Commissioners to say, mm-hmm. bravo, you are standing up for us. You're representing our community. Like we we support you 100 percent in this. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, because like the EMSB, um uh, a couple weeks, I guess about a month ago, uh, actually had a public forum on okay. this issue where they invited members of the community to come out and 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 speak up and and share how they felt about this issue, and it was it was it was moving like um, p- 
person after person was just like coming to the mic and and speaking so passionately um, about the issue, but also about a willingness to to engage in civil disobedience that mm-hmm. we that this is something that we cannot tolerate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the same way that that we 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 would we say that like the Jim Crow laws were intolerable, right? right? And those those connections were being made, and and so it was pretty much unanimous. Like there wasn't a single person that came to the mic and was like, I think this law is kind of good. Right. Like no one, no one did that. It was all people saying that. And so that I think really laid the groundwork for the school board to take the position that it did. So just never think that as like a mere voter or a mere community member that your voice doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it does. And, and those who are in leadership positions, you know, they're always worried about getting reelected. Yeah. And when they know that the people that are, are, are there to elect them, you know, support them or don't support them, mm. you know, they can possibly change right. or stand their ground if need be. So. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've most often heard about uh, pleas to contact representatives with like, don't do this. This is not good. And all this. Yeah, right. So it's really cool to hear. The, yeah, of course. Yeah. So saying good job, yeah. I support mm-hmm. what you're doing. Yeah. And especially, yeah. it must be incredibly hard to be on the underdog side of just yeah. like constantly getting, uh, you know, hit on the head by your superiors or people yeah. around you right. and, and, and just feeling that pressure. So to, to feel that the people yeah. that you serve support what you're doing Absolutely. must be an enormous yeah. moral boost. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and the other thing that was remarkable about that is that like, if you've been following the news, with the EMSB for the last decade. Um, it's like nothing but like, oh, like infighting, stories of uh, corruption. Yeah, UPAC yeah. is coming in to investigate. <laughs> they can't have meetings that are functional. They're sending in a government person to monitor their meetings. And so this was like the first example I can remember in a long time <laughs> right. where there was complete unanimity from all of the members of the councils of commissioners. So it was a, it was actually a very beautiful thing that right. they, yeah. because they hate each other. Like the, the camps there are so entrenched, right. like they can, you know, there's ethics complaints against each other and all this sort of stuff. So the fact that they've put aside their differences to, yeah. to unite on this issue is just hugely important and commendable. Yeah. And so important to say how it was like when you were saying that this cannot be tolerated, yeah. Yeah. that there's no there's no room for compromise yeah. in yeah. this situation. This <laughs> exactly. is just wrong. Exactly. And it needs to be needs to be pushed back. Yeah. yeah really... And it, it, if you don't mind, I, I'd, I'd like to link it to another issue that I've Absolutely. been a, yeah, bit, a bit outspoken <laughs> about. So like. This this um, uh, idea, you know, has its origins as a as a law with the, the previous the Marwa government, the the, PQ, the previous PQ government, as does a second uh, um, issue, which is Quebec's history curriculum. Oh yeah. And <laughs> and I, the reason why I want to like point out that they have the same origin is that they share the same rotten ethnic nationalist politics. Yeah. Um, and so and we I think we do need to be making these connections that that this is about rising ethnic nationalism mm-hmm. that wants to eliminate the voices of minorities and even, you know, purge them from our society. Mm-hmm. Um, so just just to give a quick rundown of what these the, the latest 
textbooks that came into our schools last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, not a single positive contribution by a minority community mentioned anywhere in the textbook. Not yeah. one. There's a two-page section on the contribution of immigrants. In that, you only learn about like replacing the the people that are dying it's like demographic renewal is is the only thing that is mentioned there um the entire sec four textbook makes mention of two black people jackie robinson no not even no the first it was the first haitian mna and uh rufus rockhead's uh um uh jazz club in little burgundy but in the little blurb about Rufus Rockhead, you learn nothing about the history of the Little Burgundy oh community other than an association with jazz music. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. And like, that's not to say that the Quebec history textbooks when I was in high school were that good either. No, no. Like, like to be fair, 10 years ago, they were also bad, but they were a little better than this. They were. And, and like, so one thing that I remember from the old textbook was there was this big section about like the evolution of the nationalist movement. Mm-hmm. And it talked about the development of an idea called interculturalism. Yeah. So this was like the PQ's attempt at multiculturalism. And, and what it said was, it's sort of just like, we, we accept everybody from no matter where you are, your religion, your background, as long as you speak French. Right. So there was sort of, it's kind of like Canadian multiculturalism but with you know promoting the French language mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that whole history has been eliminated from the new textbooks like they don't even want kids to know that there was a time when the Quebec nationalist movement saw that its only hope was to reach out to new immigrants right. and to try to include them and 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 I should say the Parti Québécois was successful for many years in doing that, in bringing, you know, mm-hmm. members of different ethnic groups into the sovereignist fold and into the sovereignist movement. But, uh, you know, once, uh, you know, the famous money in the ethnic vote uh, comments were made on the eve of the last referendum, that started to go out the window and it's just continued to go out the window ever since. And to the point now where they're like the nationalists are literally like erasing that chapter of their own history yeah oh my god so so now i'm immediately picturing a bunch of people in a basement wearing cloaks like why are these people like who who's in charge making is it just one person in a building making these calls or like how is this so okay all right well okay you want it you want the sordid details Uh, all right here we go this This is is a dirty story so 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 the the history reform whenever they want to reform the curriculum there's a a standard process that they go through Uh okay and it usually begins with convening a large committee of experts and that large committee of experts is usually very diverse. So there's all, there's always representatives of the English community mm-hmm. and 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 other communities that are there, you know, speaking. So it, it's it's always had some sovereignist voices and some federalist voices, okay. some anglophones, some francophones. They've they've tried to have sort of a diverse committee. Right. And um, the PQ government, when it came into power, started the reform, set up that committee, and then. Uh, basically responded to the lobbying efforts of a group called La Coalition pour l'Histoire. La Coalition pour l'Histoire is a conservative sovereignist lobby group that has been banging the drums in the media for the last, you know, 20 years almost about the denationalization of the Quebec history program. 
Do you remember you? So you were you studied under the last history curriculum? I think so. Yeah. 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 There was, was me, a, there was, I was a, a lot. Reform year. Yes. You. Yeah. Well, you will recall. <laughs> The Quebec Nation was featured prominently in that textbook, yeah. like as prominently as it possibly could. Right. And yet the denationalization of the history curriculum. And so as a result of the pressure from La Coalition pour l'Histoire, and this was all reported in Le Devoir, the Marwa government shut down the big committee that 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 normally does it Jesus. and literally handed it over to the the historians that were approved by La Coalition pour l'Histoire. So what we see Fuck. is their vision of Quebec history. And was that you said lob, so lobbying so money? Well, so they're they, they're they're financed by no, they're, it's more to like pressure government to to do things. So they so they're they're different historians, but they're funded by the the Société Saint Jean Baptiste and and other you know conservative sovereignist organizations. Okay. And uh, yeah, and so they they successfully got their vision of history into into the the history curriculum oh for goodness. all of us. So like, what I'm left with now <laughs> is like a curriculum. That, that that my students have to endure two years of a curriculum that if they're anglophone it demonizes them and if they're any other group other than you know pure lane uh, uh, francophone it erases they're them. completely erased oh my God. and and so like and just to say you know there is a lot of research out there about one of the things that helps students succeed is being able to make personal connections with the curriculum yep. so here here we have basically you know two years of, of a program that's telling my students you don't belong. Uh, <laughs> uh, Vive la Quebec. My whole body is angry right now. Oh, God. Well, our province is a hot mess. Yeah. We're, we're, we're running out of time. Can I just add one? Can I just add one more question? Yeah, yeah. Is there hope for that committee to return or something? Yeah, I think you know the next like well, it, we'll see. Under the CAC government, I don't know. The right, CAC, right, the yeah. CAC isn't isn't touching this right now. Okay. We're, I've we've been the group that I'm involved in. We've been writing them angry letters, and we're trying to get a response from right. them. We're actually trying to get a meeting with them. Right. Um, but um, you know, I, I I it would be very. It would just if they went back and did a similar process yeah i mean they don't need to right now because it's mm. the coalition for listoire's textbooks that are there uh-huh. so it would only be if uh, maybe a liberal government or another government that doesn't want a racist history curriculum <laughs> comes into power <laughs> they would <laughs> oh i want to cry and laugh at the same time oh my goodness so we should all vote for the green party in the fall that's right <laughs> oh, god that's crushing man i'm sorry did i, I have to eat an entire chocolate day? cake okay. after this <laughs> i feel like i feel like we should wrap up with like a like a turtle butt question yeah. as a palate cleanser and, and yeah. just to say if you know, if you're feeling bad now, you should have me back to talk about environmental issues sometime because, oh! like, I can really crush your soul with some of that stuff. I have already decided not to have kids. It's all right. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So what's that question? Okay. Pa- patron uh, Sarah Angelica asks, what's something that you're scared of trying but still want to try? For me, skydiving. Oh, something that I'm scared of trying... And I still haven't tried. For me, 
there's i i'm scared of international travel are you not <laughs> like it which is hilarious to talk about like right after yeah, this yeah exactly. about, right? but it's it's not like a fear of people it's really just a fear of like what if i'm somewhere and i cannot figure out how to get home afterward you yeah know? oh i get that and, yeah and like but i i watch all these food shows where people travel and i'm like oh like i would love to go to like thailand or like you know Europe like just anywhere yeah, yeah where there is food that is not the food that I'm eating here and <laughs> and then I look at it and I'm like yeah but also it's kind of scary like what if I fall into water <laughs> <laughs> and like I think that will just be a barrier for me for a long time I mean also we have no fucking money yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's the bigger yeah, issue but yeah. like so do I do I have to want to try it you want to try it even if it's something that scares you oh because I was gonna say like the thought of teaching at the elementary level, like, ter- <laughs> terrifies me. And, and like, I know, actually, there's a lot of elementary teachers that would say the same thing about me as a high oh, school I'm teacher. Sure, They're just yeah. like, oh, my God, I want nothing to do with high school. Different ballgame. I mean, yeah, maybe I would I, I, I would like to try it once. Yeah. Right? Just to, just to, just, I don't know, you know, like blow a few noses and to tell Billy to stop hitting Susie. And to, and to, to, that's to, all they do. That, all they do. I, yeah. I think that's it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think, I think I've probably had a nightmare or two about that waking mm. up and it's like, I'm in an elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, for sure. I get that. Children are terrifying. Um, I am fucking scared of stand-up but mm. i want to try stand-up Ooh, nice one because it is it is so like i do improv and it's it's in the moment and i can like tap into my goofy self and just do whatever but the stakes are so low yeah stand-up having to write something and be up there mm. by yourself mm-hmm. it's definitely something that that I'm like my body shifted immediately as I'm saying this yeah. is like tightness, but I feel like th- well that's it. Like I think there's so many benefits to challenging fears yeah, that absolutely. it's just like even if I go up there and I bomb, bomb yeah. with who I am now, like yeah. if I tried stand up five years ago, right. I would off myself if it didn't go well. <laughs> right. But like now, I feel like I'm more aware of myself and aware of my limits and aware of like how, what it means to push myself. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, so. So maybe. Also, there are so many fucking, like, stakeless stand-up opportunities yeah. where right. everyone's drinking, no one gives a no. shit about you, <laughs> you have to speak super loudly, and they still don't hear you. Yeah. So I feel like this is a doable thing. I think so. And and honestly, like, I think, like, as a person who's done a lot of improv, like, you've failed on stage a lot of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. No, I, you know I do I mean. not feel you know offended I mean. by that. Yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. like, fully. Like, you, you're, you're a great improviser. You teach. Improv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like everyone fails on stage, right? Oh, yeah. Doing improv. And I think that that makes you less, it hardens you a little bit to mm-hmm. the failure. And as a person who does a lot of podcast things like this, you, every week that you come in here, you're presented with something that you have not researched and then you manage to do a good show on it, right? Right. Things come up, you, you tell stories, you craft ideas. I bet that if you sat down and tried to come up with something to do for a stand up set, you would be able to do it. Me too. Oh. Me yeah. too. Let yeah. me know when you're doing it. Oh my god, I'm feeling so much love, <laughs> which makes me cringe. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And that brings us to the end of our show for this week. And hey, Tom. Yeah. If you fall in water in a different country, 
I'll come get you, man. Yeah, <laughs> you'll, you'll be on the first flight out. Yeah, I'll find that puddle <laughs> and I will, I will save you. I'm just lying there in like an inch of water. Yeah, like, <laughs> and if, if you go to an elementary school and teach with children and it becomes overwhelming. You'll bring me an extra pack of Kleenex I to wipe will. those noses with. I will, exactly, <laughs> and a big whistle <laughs> to control the horn. <laughs> nice. Support uh, all round. Indeed. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of the show for this week. If you guys like this episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. It's the best way for the show to grow. If you want to support us for free instead, you can leave a rating and review on Stitcher Apple Podcasts, which is also the best way for the show to grow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, share this episode with a friend who needs to learn a whole lot about what the hell is wrong with Quebec right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's really the big one, eh? Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. was amazing. Thank you so much oh, for yeah. It was a real pleasure. Anytime. Yeah, it was. it was nice to just have like... I'm I'm very tired today. Okay. So it was nice to have you come in and just drop a lot of knowledge on. I, <laughs> I warned you at the beginning I was long-winded, so. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, this this was really great and I think I think it's important to talk about this kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. To, like, learn about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. So Yeah, share yeah. this episode yeah. widely. Yeah. As one of my favorite quotes, I might have even said it back in your class in <laughs> Westmount High, comes from Ralph Nader, turn on to politics before politics turns on you. Because that's what's happening right now in yeah. Quebec. Politics is turning on all of us. And we need to get a hold of this monster. Yeah, absolutely. Powerful words, for sure. Yeah. It's funny, the last time I was a guest on a podcast, I wrapped up the episode with a West Wing quote. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. You can follow the show on Twitter at Down With Talking. <laughs> Each of us individually, I'm at Tom Zalatni. I'm at Red Random. Uh, does anyone have anything to plug? I'm drawing a blank. Cool. <laughs> Vote green. Vote yeah. Green. <laughs> so good. Uh, I want to plug the Canada's Young Leaders podcast that I mentioned earlier in this episode. They are the newest show on the Upford Network, hosted by Jim and Nick Hughes. Young leaders. Yeah. I heard gun leaders, and I was like, what the fuck is the, <laughs> what's the twist on this title? That makes way more sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Canada's Young Leaders. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you liked this, you will definitely like that, so go check it out. Special thanks to Crackers and Jam for letting us use the title track off their EP Benson as our theme music. You can find all their music for sale at crackersandjam.bandcamp.com. This show was produced and edited by Tom Zalatni, that guy for the Upford Network. You can find out about all our great shows at upfordnetwork.com. Rob, thanks again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yes, I see you. I say now.